Amen. Can we just give it up for Teresa? That was a powerful word of God. And it's, I'm not making it about her, right? It's not about us, but it is about portraying the glory of God in the midst of our trial. How God uses our very sufferings. There's a reason the word says rejoice in your sufferings, because it, th- these stories of rising above the chaos and rising above the storm, these stories are incomplete without Jesus and what he accomplishes in the midst of the trial. And I'm just so moved and encouraged by people like Teresa. And our church is packed full uh, with people like that. People who have a worship attitude towards God, worship in the midst of trial. I'm, I'm just excited and happy to have all of you as partners because I know I've talked with some of you about the different trials that you go through in life. Something that she mentioned, dreams. God has dreams for us. You know, when I think about dreams, it reminds me of my childhood. I remember my dreams when I was a kid. You know, when you think about your dreams growing up, you're thinking about, well, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? You know, some people say firemen, some people say I want to be an astronaut, and then usually the astronauts realize they don't want to go into space, and they say I want to be an engineer, and et cetera, et cetera, right? You know, we have all these different uh, fantasies and you know, perceptions about what it means to dream your future, right? Um, I, I had many dreams growing up, and they were all based on the wrong assumptions and on the wrong expectations. And in a sense, today we're going to try to split what are the right expectations for someone who dreams because of the dream God has bestowed upon him and someone who dreams for, him, for himself or her herself. Um, one of the first things I remember growing up, you know, I used to watch a lot of, well, I still watch a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows, and I had a fascination with certain superheroes uh, or heroes. This one in particular wasn't a superhero, but a hero. I was obsessed with Zorro, and James, if you could show that picture of me when I was, that's me right there. That's me thinking I'm the Zorro. I, my, I'm sure my mom didn't tell me to pose that way. That was just me. You know, trying to look all dashing as El Zorro. <laughs> Voila. And, uh, you know, she would make those costumes from scratch because my mom was awesome. Um, and, but it's so funny because I wanted, you know, to, to bring about justice, help be an agent of saving people who are in turmoil or who experience injustice in the world. Uh, but that wasn't exactly a dream. That was just me thinking of when I grow up, I'd like to be like this, you know. There was one dream that stuck throughout my whole childhood. I grew up probably idolizing terribly uh, a sports figure. Many of you know him. It's Michael Jordan, if you can show the picture now. This is, this is who I wanted to be <laughs> growing up. And, uh, and it's funny because I've said this before, but American culture teaches us that you can do anything if you, if you really believe it, you can do anything. I can't do that. <laughs> There's no way I could do that, right? Uh, but, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I had these guys, that, they were my dad's friends, and my dad would tell them, yeah, he wants to be in the NBA when he grows up. And they'd come and say, if you believe it in your heart, you can be it. And I'd get all excited, and I'd start dreaming away about me being in the NBA and being like Michael Jordan and being able to do all those awesome moves. And so I grew up for, <laughs> you know, other kids had real expectations. I want to be a doctor. I want to be an engineer. I was like, nope, I'm playing in the NBA. End of story. That's what I'm going to do. You know, I played in high school basketball, but I knew I wasn't that great. 
but for some reason I would convince myself one day it's going to kick in, kind of like Space Jam, the magic factor. And that, uh, that made it worse. When the movie Space Jam came out in the 90s, for those of you that don't know, Michael Jordan was in a cartoon movie with Bugs Bunny and some other characters. When that movie came out, this was like 95, I think, um, it, it inspired a whole youth of people. Even people in the NBA today are, uh, that play say they were inspired by this movie. And you would see me, like, in my room, closed door, I believe I can fly. <laughs> the whole time, the whole time. I was, you know, it was just my fantasy of, like, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it if I just spread my wings. I can fly, you know. Um, but that's not how dreams work. Those are dreams that were focused on me. And I was, uh, uh, you know, in the process of becoming a believer, so I would tell God, hey, let's, I, I, I'll cut you a deal, God. You make me an awesome NBA player, and I'll be rich and give all the money away. And that way, we, you know, we're partnering in it. And it's funny, because I'm, I'm convincing myself it's a righteous thing that I'm, you know, going to get a lot of money being an NBA player and then give it to everyone. But really, it was a way of me getting what I wanted, which was to be that, you know, to be an amazing basketball player. Um, but I realized... Uh, again, that that wasn't really going to work at some point in high school. You know, I was an okay player, but that was about it. So then I asked myself, what do I want to do next? And you'd think a teenager in high school would have realistic expectations once again. But once again, I didn't have realistic expectations. I wanted to be next Indiana Jones. <laughs> so let me explain. I convinced myself that I'd be an archaeologist, and because I'd be an archaeologist, for some reason, I'm going to end up with you know, big rolling balls running behind me and me trying to save people and, you know, just being Indiana Jones. To me, that's what an archaeologist was. <laughs> and then I learned the hard way, you know, talking to people like counselors in high school. It's like, you know, that's not what archaeology is, man. You spend a lot of time in the library, you do research and et cetera, et cetera. I got to college and I had no idea what I wanted to do. No idea. The focus was wrong. That was the problem. The focus was on me and what, was, uh, what, what I saw was cool or a way of even you know, exalting myself up. Uh, but that's the American dream, right? To be icons, to be successful in business, to accomplish all these things. That's not how God works. Believers seek to accomplish dreams of the kingdom. These are much different from world, worldly dreams. Success according to God's kingdom looks different from success according to the world. And this is so important because in today's culture, that, I mean, American culture is so ingrained in us, right? And we want success. We want, uh, yeah, I want the big house. I want to work hard. As long as we attach work hard, it sounds okay, right? As long as we attach work hard, it sounds kosher. Like, yeah, well, I want all this, but I'm going to work for it, yo. I'm going to make sure I earn it. That's, that's the, um, the American dream. And that's not kingdom dreams. Jesus never told us how to accomplish any of that. He had bigger dreams for us. They don't look material. They look like treasures stored in heaven. So the American culture, the, our world, where, you know, in comparison with the rest of the world, we don't really experience poverty. Success is financial success, business, prom uh, getting promotions at your job, earning respect, having nice things like cars, houses, um, where we live, the area in which we live, financial security, that's the American way. That's our dreams. That's the cultural way. 
But the real question as believers that we have to ask ourselves is, what is God's will for our life? What does God want for me? What's his plan for me? That's the dream question. What is God's dream for you? And it changes the source of the dream. The other way is, what do I want for me? The God-sized dream is, what does God want for me? What does God want to do through me? And it might not always be pretty and glamorous. A lot of times it'll come with sacrifice, pain, and all sorts of trials. But what you will accomplish will look like success in the kingdom. Saved people. People that are saved from poverty. People that are saved from their sin. People that are saved from their sickness. That's what God-sized dreams look like. Not the fancy stuff that we earn through our own hard work. So it's not my desire, it's his desire. And Paul tells us we've got to renew our mind because we're so bent. In Romans 12, uh, verses, uh, verse 2, he talks about renewing your mind because we're so bent with American culture and how to gain the financial success or the other respect success that we don't think about the kingdom success, the kingdom dreams that have been bestowed upon us. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's where it starts to change the focus, because if I delight myself in God, the desires of my heart are no longer selfish. They are God. My desire is God, and to please God, and to obey God. That's the game changer. So once we start this process of renewing our mind and taking away the American-bestowed culture uh, uh, stigma, not stigma, but the the paradigm of success, once we, rem we remove that, the question is, okay, what is God's dream for me? What is the specific plan that he's given me so that I can move forward and, and accomplish everything that he dreamt up for me that was written in a book before I was born? How do we find it? Well, the first thing that we need to know is that God consistently encounters you to reveal his dream for you. God consistently encounters you to reveal his dream for you. And by encounter, I mean speaks. And that doesn't necessarily mean audible. In fact, most of us don't experience God's audible voice, but what we experience is God speaking through us, through movements of the Spirit, through whispers, through word that we read in Scripture, and through people in our church. So we want to seek that encounter so that he communicates the dream for us. It's a supernatural encounter. Don't get it wrong. It just not might be an audible voice, but it will be a voice you will recognize God. You will know it's God speaking to you, and you will know that it is a God dream given for you. One of my favorite encounters is the encounter of Paul, formerly known as Saul. Saul persecuted the church. He wanted to end the Christian movement, and on his way to one of the many dealings that he had in bringing the church of Christ down, Christ encountered him. So we will spend most of today in Acts 9. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. And we will see how Saul, who will soon be called Paul, is encountered by Jesus Christ himself. We'll start in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that means people who are Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who are traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. We're going to keep reading there, but we'll stop right now for there. Um, So when we think about encounters like that, Paul isn't the only type of encounter, or the only person to experience that kind of encounter. Uh, Last week, Pastor Jason was talking to us about Abraham. Same thing. Abraham was encountered by God and told about this dream that God had for him. Moses was encountered by God in a very supernatural way, a burning bush, and told a dream that he had for Moses. Funny thing, usually the dreams scare us. And when Moses heard the dream that uh, God had for him, he was afraid. I'm sure Paul was afraid at this point because he can't see But God encounters us in very distinguishable ways. Paul, Moses, Abraham, none of them can deny that at that moment, God met them. And when God encounters you, if you are seeking it, you will know it is God speaking to you and outlaying his plan for you, his dream for you. The question is, how do we we tune in, right? How do we tune in to the radio station of the encounter. How do we find the encounter with God? God, biblically, uh, has confirmed that he encounters us, speaks to us, reveals himself to us three ways. There's three ways that God does this. The Holy Spirit, his word, and his church. God encounters you through the Holy Spirit, his word, and his church. We're going to see that these three work together always, to confirm and show the believer that, yes, this is no way to deny it, God speaking, encountering you. Three ways. We're going to continue reading in Acts 9, starting from verse 10 to 22, to see these three at play. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Ananias is basically saying, dude, you don't want to get this guy. He's bad news. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And immediately something like scales fell off his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man? Is this not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So we mentioned three things that are part of God's encounter for us. When he encounters us, he reveals the dream to us three ways: the Holy Spirit his word, and his church. You will find the Holy Spirit one in verse 17. You see Ananias come, lay hands over him, and pray so that he may be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a supernatural encounter with God. So the Holy Spirit is one of those. The word is part of our encounter with God. It's how we know that God is speaking to us and how we verify it, how we test. Where is the word in here? It's implicit. It's hard to see, but I'm going to take you to the very last verse there. Verse 22. It says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus wasn't next to Paul when this is happening. So it's not like he proved it by saying, Here's Jesus in all his glory, except that Jesus is the Christ. How did, Je- how did Paul usually do this? And we have evidence in his letters. It's because of the incredible knowledge of scripture that Paul had. Paul was a guy that before becoming a Christian, he was all for the old way uh, and, and he was part of the old covenant under the, 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 uh, the people of Israel. So he was well versed with the Bible. He knew scripture. He knew how to quote it and how to interpret it. Now he received the Holy Spirit And he has received an extra layer of interpretation, and he's realized Jesus is the Christ. He speaks to the people, and his knowledge of Scripture is so powerful that the Jews that were against Jesus being the Christ were proven wrong. This is an encounter with God. The Scripture being so powerful, it convinces you and proves you wrong when you disagree with it. So, The Holy Spirit came into his life and revealed the scriptures to him to show that it was Christ all along, and he goes and helps other other people encounter God through the Word. So think about Paul's encounter with God. He was met by Jesus, given the Holy Spirit, and now he's using the Holy Spirit to uh, absorb all the knowledge out of scripture and preach it onto people so that others may encounter God. The Word and the Holy Spirit. And the third one that God uses to encounter with us is the church. I'm sorry, in Damascus, there was Ananias. And Ananias, he is a believer. He is a church fellow member, right? So he is part of the very church. God could have said, Paul, I'm going to give you this power. Here it is, and done it all directly at the moment that Jesus encounters him. But for some reason, he didn't give him the full revelation of the dream. The encounter wasn't complete until God involved someone else from the church. He said, go to Ananias, or go to this person, he will tell you what to do. 
So God chose to involve someone else in the encounter. He chose to involve someone else in the dream. It was a believer. So there it is. In one short story, all three ways in which God encounters us. The Word, the Church, and the Holy Spirit. See, when we are going through the different things in life and looking for God's encounter with us, we have to be in touch with the three. Some people say, well, I can encounter God without the church. No, here it is. God works through his church. God reveals through his church. Do you see that the main part of the mission was actually spoken by Ananias? Paul receives the main part of his mission from Ananias. So it's impossible for Paul to just say, no, I'm not going to go to Ananias. I'm not going to go to church. I'm just going to discover this revelation because God came directly to me. The problem is, once again, God works through his church, through his believers. And Ananias comes to him and speaks the Holy Spirit to, uh, and, and lays his hands on him so that he receives the Holy Spirit and speaks his mission to him. So when we think about how we encounter God, we want to check to see, are those three always interacting in my life? Am I a person who seeks to have a relationship with God, the encounter? Am I a person who seeks to um, be a part of the body of believers? So that's the church. Am I a person that's diving into scripture? Those are the three checkpoints. Those are your pit stops. If one of those is out of flow, the encounter is a little messed up. It's a little skewed. And in fact, anytime God encounters you with just two of them or one of them, he's going to direct you to seek the three. God works through his people. God speaks through his word. And he encounters you in a supernatural way directly through his Holy Spirit. Seek those three. Dive into his word. Pray every day. Pray consistently. And go to church. That's not a religious command. Last year, I think I missed the mission services three times. And I missed them because I missed them. <laughs> Let me explain what I mean by that. I wasn't able to be here on three Sundays last, in the last year. And uh, I didn't feel guilty. I didn't feel religiously guilty. I felt like I missed it. One of those Sundays was the anniversary. It was uh, in February, I think. The three-year anniversary. And I really wish I would have been here. It was a party. You guys blew off the roof. That's what I heard. <laughs> it was a party, confetti, the whole thing, the whole works. And I missed it. It's not a religious burden to be at church. It's, you want to be there because you want to encounter God. It's one of the three ways God encounters you. So I want to make sure to be there for that encounter. Because I miss out. I miss out on working with others. Can you imagine if I had not been here today and would have not heard Teresa? Teresa blessed me today. The only way is to be part of a church, to be a part of a body of believers. It's not a religious burden. You want, you desire to be with the church because you encounter God through the church believers. God uses our covenant relationships in our dreams. Covenant is a fancy word to say like a, I guess a treaty or a, a commitment. Marriage is a covenant. So God uses our covenant relationships in our dreams. He brings other people in to our dreams to work alongside us. Ananias was brought in to be part of the dream that Paul was given. Again, 
Paul would have never known what his purpose was. Notice that God tells Ananias what the purpose of Paul is. He's a chosen instrument for the people of Israel. He's a chosen instrument for the kings and the Gentiles. Ananias was the one that heard his, the purpose of Paul. So we need to have covenant relationships so that people can speak prophetically even to us and tell us, hey, this is what God is bringing you in to do. Now, of course, we test everything. The word is always present. But we need our fellow people to tell us their godly wisdom so that we can discern what God's plan for us. That's just the way it is. Now, here's the problem. Some of us, most of us, have two groups of friends. And in fact, if you're a healthy Christian, you should have two groups of friends. On this side of the stage, I have my Christian friends. Okay? He's our, the, he's, here in this circle is Teresa, Carlos, Jeff, Angelica, Brian, Brian. They're both there sitting by each other, both Brian's. They're all here, and all, the other, all of you, you're right here. And over here, those are covenant friends. Over here is the world friends. Now, if you're having problems finding out what your dreams are, ask yourself, where do you spend the, mo the most time? Where are you consistently? Who do you do life with? Who encourages you to your dreams? Is it this group or is it this group? I heard a quote once when I was in high school. You can never soar like an eagle surrounded by a bunch of turkeys. It's funny, but it's true. If your God dream is going to be confirmed and even spoken to you through covenant relationships in the church, and you spend most of your time here with people that don't care about your walk with God, with people that don't care about your God purposes, they care about your American purposes, they care about your financial success, they don't care about what you're going to accomplish for the kingdom. Look at these two sides, how vastly different they can be. Have them both. But the key is, and I just, Carlos and I were talking about this a couple of months ago, you want to be here, and little by little, you want to run over here, grab someone, and start making him hang out with the eagles. <laughs> Bring a turkey to be surrounded by eagles. You don't want to do the other way around, because if you spend too much time here all by your onesies, right, all by yourself, you're going to become a turkey. That's what's going to happen. They don't care about how your walk is. They don't care if you spend time out of the word. They don't care if your goals are worldly goals or if your goals are godly goals. They do. Go to the eagle circle. Don't say they'll stay in the turkey circle. That's huge. Covenant relationships are part of how God reveals his dreams for us. I've seen it happen many times. I've seen it happen to people here I've seen it happen to me in my life. Uh, consistently, God uses his people to speak to you. God gives you gifts and talents to accomplish your dreams. That one's not new, right? He gives you gifts and talents to accomplish your dreams. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6 says the following. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, uh, varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. We have gifts and talents that are given by God. And these are to be used to accomplish your dreams. 
But now, again, think about how you choose the two sides. Which culture do you decide to apply your talents? Do you apply it to the God's kingdom culture, or do you apply it to my personal gain and desires? Am I going to work to earn salvation for people, God being the mediator of that? Or am I going to work to get all the financial good stuff that the American dream promises? Don't get me wrong. We need to have a house to invite people in. We need to have cars to move around. But what is the driving source of our dreams? Is it the wealth or is it saving people? When it's saving people, it involves sacrifice, but it just gains so much more and it's treasures in heaven. That's what we want to do with our gifts. Imagine, this is my favorite hero, by the way, my favorite non-Jesus hero. Imagine if Martin Luther King had taken all his gifts of his analytical studies, his, his speech writing, the way that he interacts with, with people, the leadership movements, and he said, I'm not going to get involved in this political mess of r- racial injustice. Imagine if Martin Luther King takes his dreams and he says, okay, let me just, um, I'll get a professorship and I'll be a pastor of a church like I am being right now, but I'm not going to talk about that racial stuff. I'm just not going to do that. Imagine if Martin Luther King uses his talents the wrong way. Martin Luther King left a life of easy comfort, gain, and increase in status for a life of persecution. A life that ultimately led to his death. But what he accomplished and the gain that he has in heaven is unmeasurable. That's the difference between God-sized dreams and the American dream. The God-sized dreams conquer souls. These dreams stay safe. They keep you safe. And you gain for your personal success. Use your gifts and talents to accomplish the God-sized dreams. You know, Martin Luther King, if you haven't looked it up, go to YouTube. I know it sounds weird. Go to YouTube and look up his last speech the day before he died. I'm not making this up. And you will see someone full of the Holy Spirit. I promise you. On the day before he was assassinated, he stands on stage at a church and he preaches a powerful message. He says, and I quote, well, I paraphrase, he says that like Moses, he's been taken to the mountaintop and he's seen the promised land. He may not get there with his people to the promised land, but we will get there as a people to the promised land. God has showed me the promised land. And he says, I have seen the glory of God. And he says, right at the end, I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Next day he was shot. And he was saying, I might not make it with you, but it doesn't matter to me anymore. It's a powerful speech. I mean, you don't have to look at the whole speech, just look at the last one minute. And I'm getting goosebumps right now you'll see a man full of the Holy Spirit because he was so captivated by the God dream. That God dream to save souls and to bring about justice because of the gospel. He wanted to bring racial justice because of the gospel. He didn't live a comfortable life. He died and he said, I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That is a dream. That is a dream. Can you imagine that fearlessness? I'm sure he was afraid, but the Holy Spirit overpowered him in a way that he said, 
this is more important. This is God's dream for my life. And I need to do this. And it cost him his life, but it gave him Christ. And gave him treasures that are immeasurable in heaven. Use your gifts and talents to accomplish your God-sized dreams, not your cultural dreams. God reveals the needs of people to reveal his dreams for you. This is the last point that I'm making today. God reveals the needs of people to reveal his dream for you. You want to start interacting with what it is God wants for you? Look at the needs around you. There's a reason at the beginning of service I talked about Awana. We need people to help. Look around in the community and in church and elsewhere for need. That's God working, and he's inviting you to work with him. He's bringing you along. He's inviting you to work with him. And yeah, it might not be the most glamorous thing, and it might be tough, and you might not even want to work with kids, or you might not even want to do grounds work if there's a need for grounds work. You might not want to do this or that, but if you see a need, run towards God. You're going to encounter him. Help out. Just be there. Be a face that smiles. Do something. That God-sized dream is part of that need. He reveals the dream through the needs of people. We, we just need to have compassion. Matthew 14, 14 says, When he went ashore, this is Jesus, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Like Martin Luther King, same thing. He sees a need. He had a pain in his life. He had experienced and seen the pain. Jesus sees that this crowd has been following him, and he has compassion on them, and heals their sick. That's the God-sized dream right there. You have to look at the needs around you and respond. There's a need around you, and God has equipped you with talents and with covenant people that will help you accomplish the goal of bringing more souls to Christ. If our children's ministry grows, imagine how our church grows. Imagine how we impact our city if we're known for a, city, uh, a church that loves the children of Redlands. Sorry, but that got me going. <laughs> Imagine if we're a church known for loving the children of Redlands. Lost souls will come in here. That's a God-sized dream. People will come to know Jesus. They'll profess him and go and glorify God because of the work that he's doing in them. That's a God-sized dream. So see where God is working around you. It may be Awana, Adventure Club by Awana. It may be musicians. Sometimes we need musicians. We have a good friend of mine here, Phil, who played drums today. He's not even from our church, but he comes and helps us, and he blesses us. So if you see him, give him a hug. <laughs> Phil, um, we need musicians. We need help with groundskeeping sometimes. Look around for the needs. Partner in. Be a part of the covenant relationships in the God-sized dreams. The last thing I want to show you is a comparison of what it means to live God-sized dreams and cultural dreams. Basically, the difference is who's the source of your dream. If God is the source of your dream, then you encounter with God. You have covenant friends that help bring about that dream, and talents are used to bless others. To bless others, not you. But the life outside of that dream, the life of my personal sinful dream is vague in relationship with God. Doesn't connect with God only on Sundays, only on weekends, only on 
That's a vague relationship. That's an acquaintance, not, not a father. We want to be the adopted sons that God has made us. When you're the source of the dream, you have worldly friends. We talked about the two circles of friends. Where are you, in the turkey circle, or are you in the eagle circle? And finally, of course, your talents are used for you. We saw the example, Martin Luther King. Imagine if he had lived for financial and cultural wealth. Man, what a loss. What a loss would that have been. So I want to invite you to be part of this encounter with God. Seek His Word. Seek His Holy Spirit. Seek the church. And you will encounter God daily. Daily. I promise you, daily, you're going to see God working in your life and speaking to you about your dream. The dream that He has envisioned for you, which may come with sacrifice, but will change the world. It will rock the world around you. You will leave a God-sized legacy when you go and join Christ. That's a God-sized dream. Let's go ahead and pray as the band comes up. Father, I pray that even to me, I'm, I'm preaching this to myself, Lord, that you move us right now to focus away from the, the self-dream, the dream that I generated for myself, and move to the dream and vision before I was born. The dream that was created, that was, that was dreamt by God for all of us. You're calling us to a life of sacrifice, but a life full of encounters with you. A God that seeks to love us and seeks to work through us and those around us. That we may seek your encounter with our fellow church members and in the Holy Spirit. And that we may seek those encounters through reading your word. And in doing so, that we may receive that dream. That we may see needs around us and be compassionate for the needs around us and jump in. I speak this to myself primarily, Lord. Give us a heart for you, a heart to encounter you, and give us God-sized expectations for what you will accomplish. As the ushers come forth, Lord, I pray for the tithes and offerings. I pray that you will multiply them, Lord, that whatever goes in, what comes out is bigger, because you are a God that does that. You enlarge territories. You are in control. There's nothing you can't do. You move mountains. You rise people from the dead. You do the impossible, Lord. Multiply the, the tithes and offerings. They are not meant for self-gain. They are meant to bless the world around us. Multiply the gifts, the, the, the tithes and offerings, and move us to be a people of God-sized expectations by encountering you. In Jesus' name, amen.